God's word this morning comes from Judges chapter 7, verses 1 to 25, which can be found in the insert printed in your bulletin. Judges chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. Then Zerubbabel, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him, rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Moreh in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. And any one of whom I say to you, This one shall not go, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And any one of whom I say to you, This one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, was three hundred men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, With the three hundred men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand. And let all the others go, every man to his home. So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained the 300 men. And the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. That same night the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura your servant, and you shall hear what they say. And afterward your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Pira his servant to the outpost to the armed men who were in the camp. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance. And their camels were without number as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, Behold, I dreamed a dream. And behold, a cake of barley tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, This is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. And he divided the three hundred men into three companies and put trumpets into the hands of all of them and empty jars with torches inside the jars. He said to them, Look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me 
Then blow the trumpets also on every side of all the camp, and shout, For the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, when they had just set the watch. And they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke their jars. They held in their left hands the torches and in their right hands the trumpets to blow. And they cried out, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Every man stood in his place around the camp, and all the army ran. They cried out and fled. When they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. And the army fled as far as Beth Shittai toward Zerah, as far as the border of Abel, Beth Meholah, as far as the border of Abel, Meholah, by Tabith. And the men of Israel were called out from Naphtali and from Asher and from all Manasseh, and they pursued after Midian. Gideon sent messengers throughout all the hill country of Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites and capture the waters against them, as far as Beth Bera and also the Jordan. So all the men of Ephraim were called out, and they captured the waters as far as Beth Bera and also the Jordan, and they captured the two princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeb. They killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb, and Zeb they killed at the winepress of Zeb. Then they pursued Midian, and they brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon across the Jordan. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have invited us into your presence uh, to worship you, to praise you. Father, you are so good to us, your creation. We know we do not deserve your goodness, your kindness, your mercy, or your grace, but you are pleased to show it. It's the essence of your glory that you would extend your mercy to your broken creation. You have blessed us in this life with every spiritual blessing we need in the Lord Jesus Christ, but you have also provided for all of our temporal needs in this life. So with these tithes and these gifts and these offerings, we ask that you would use these gifts for your glory. Even as was just sung, we pray that you would use these gifts to extend your kingdom upon this earth in order that the wondrous good news of the gospel would be proclaimed to all the nations. And Father, as we prepare to sit underneath your word, we pray that you would also help us to hear the gospel this morning. Father, no matter how we come this morning, worried, afraid, burdened, excited, no matter how we come this morning, we need to realize this morning that we're really all the same. We're all far more broken than we know and can even imagine. And so we all stand in need of the same thing. We need to see Jesus with the eyes of faith. To know that in Him, because of His person and work, we are not only far more broken than we can imagine, but we are also far more loved, and far more secure, far more accepted than we could have ever dreamed possible. So we pray now that you would help us to see the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we do pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, this summer, we are in a series in which we are looking at some passages in the Old Testament. Uh, We've got a few more weeks left in this series. 
But we've been in the Old Testament so that we can be reminded that no matter where we find ourselves week after week in the Old Testament, that every story, that every page is really driving us to see Jesus and pointing to Jesus. And two weeks ago, um, Alan Bledsoe preached last week, but two weeks ago I introduced you to this character, Gideon, in the book of Judges, in Judges chapter 6. And now we're picking up his story again in Judges chapter 7, that long passage you probably felt like, are we ever going to get to the end of this passage uh, that we read earlier? Um, but let, let me tell you, the people like Gideon in this book, Judges, um, who are called Judges, they're, they're probably what we might call uh, heroes or deliverers. Because you see, throughout the book of Judges, you're confronted with this depressing, repetitive cycle. And the cycle goes like this. The people of Israel, God's people, would wander away from God. And the consequence of their wandering away from God, trying to do life away from the face of God, was that it led to their oppression, to their suffering and their pain. And in this story in particular in Judges, God had handed the people over to the Midianite tribes who had been devouring Israel and oppressing them for seven years. But, and this is an important part of the cycle, when the awakening pain of suffering finally got through with the people of Israel, they would cry out to God for deliverance. And when they did, God raised up a hero. He raised up a deliverer, a judge. And the hero in this story is Gideon. And what I want you to see this morning from this story of Gideon and the Midianites, what I want you to see is the glory of weakness. I've shared a similar illustration to this a while ago, um, and I hope that you're able to follow it. But this is something that's happened to me occasionally, and it happened again to me the other week. Um, A friend of mine sent me a picture over a text message. And um, so I went and I clicked on it to open that picture in that text message. And the picture was sideways on my phone. And so, let me, um, I got my prop here. Um, so it was sideways, right? And so I turned my phone to look at it sideways. And there's probably a way to fix this. I just don't know what it is. Um, but see, I have this fancy iPhone, right? And so when I'm looking at it sideways here and then I turn my phone sideways, iPhone corrects and still puts my picture sideways. <laughs> So I can't ever see it right side up. And so, you know, I try to keep flipping it and it just flips with it every time I turn my phone. And so I'm sure it looked awkward as I'll get out. But I ended up having to, you know, kind of do one of those to to figure out what what was in the picture. You know, many people, uh, including me, have often referred to God's kingdom as an upside down kingdom. And it's a very good, quick, easy way to describe God's kingdom because it does appear so backwards and upside down to this world and this world's values. In actuality, though, the Bible is telling us that it's God's kingdom that is right side up and it only appears upside down to people like you and me. And here's what I'm saying. All of us you know, steeped and immersed and influenced by the values of a world that portrays heroes as independent, confident, uh, self-sufficient, strong, powerful, the self-made man or woman who's pulled themselves up by their bootstraps. 
We are immersed in those values. And I'm telling you that we have to tilt our heads sideways to see the right side up kingdom of God that appears so backwards and upside down to us. And what you end up seeing in God's kingdom is not the glory of power, not the glory of strength, not the glory of independence or self-sufficiency or whatever. But what you see is the glory of weakness. I mean, you have to tilt your head to the side really to see it. But this here, this story that we read in Judges chapter 7, it is the story of a God who works through weakness to bring deliverance. And so I want you to see three things with me this morning. I want you to see the necessity of weakness. I want you to see the encouragement in weakness. And then finally, I want us to look at the deliverance that comes through weakness. So first, the necessity of weakness. I'll be a little blunt here at the beginning um, and say this. It's not your weaknesses. It's really your perceived abilities and strengths in your life that are a massive hindrance to God's working in your life. If If I could put it another way, it would be this. Your ability... Your strength, your self-sufficiency, your whatever. It is a serious, serious liability in God's kingdom. It's not an asset. Let me try and explain it to you from the passage. In verse 12, Israel's enemy, right, the Midianites, they are described not with numbers, but with metaphors, right? And the Midians and the Amalekites and all the people of the east. See, Midian had banded together with these other tribes and they were oppressing Israel together. It says this, they lay along the valley like locusts in abundance. And their camels were without number as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. There were so many you couldn't count them, the passage is saying. They were like the sand on the seashore. In contrast, Gideon had a numbered army. Not a metaphor, no metaphor used there. There were 32,000. You could count them, right? They are outmanned, they are outnumbered. And then God tells Gideon with this small little group in comparison, right? He tells them to let anyone who's afraid to go into battle just go on and go home. That's in uh, verse 3. And when that happened, 22,000 of them left and went home, right? And then in the very next verse, God said to Gideon, you know what? The people are still too many. Right. And so God had Gideon pare down his army even more. And so Gideon is told to take these men to the water and let them drink. And the ones who knelt down to drink, they were told to go home while these water lapper people uh, were told to stay. Uh, But at the end of this little exercise, nine thousand seven hundred more went home and only three hundred remained. When you read the scholars, you know, it's pretty humorous to read this 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 stuff because the, the guys who go at great lengths to try and figure out the virtue of these water lappers, you know, oh, these were the vigilant, disciplined ones. You know, they they kept their eyes ahead and they held on to their weapons. That's not the point at all. It's funny to read that stuff because the passage is not attributing any kind of virtue to these water lapper people. Right. It's simply that there were too many soldiers. And God wanted to get rid of 31,700 of them. Right? See, God stated his own reason in verse 2. The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. It's like God is saying this. Gideon, Israel's strength, Israel's numbers, Israel's power, they are not assets. They are liabilities. They're a hindrance. 
In order to, to deliver Israel, the people have to be reduced to helplessness. They have to see their inability and their weakness. You know, um, some of the favorite stories in the Gospels um, are of Jesus with children. You know, if you remember some of these stories, you remember Jesus' disciples constantly trying to shoo these little kids away, right? You know, oh, important stuff's happening here, a whole kingdom thing. and everything. You know, get to the side. You know, you're, you're in the way. And it always made Jesus furious and angry. And, and so he would say things like this. I tell you the truth. Anyone, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Have you been around little children lately? I, I have four that are under the age of eight. Um, and I love them dearly. They are my joy. They are my happiness. I am proud of them. You know, they're, they're a blessing from God and all that stuff. But listen, they are exhausting. They, they are so exhausting. And I'm not saying anything bad about my kids. I love them. And if you have kids, I already know this about your kids. They will wear you out. They are exhausting. You wake them up. You put them to sleep. You change their diapers. You bathe them. You constantly have to wash them. You, you clean and kiss every little boo-boo, right? You, day in and day out, they just suck the energy out of you. Why? Why do they do that? Because they are completely and utterly dependent upon you. Right? Little children, they can't. And they don't do anything for themselves. Gideon, your army is too big. I need to whittle that down to a needy, helpless, dependent number. You think your position, your wealth, your theological mind, your moral compass, your bold personality, the way you raise your family, your relational gifts, your discipline, your whatever, you think it's an asset. But God is saying it's actually a hindrance. It's actually a liability. A hindrance to what? We say, you know, aren't those good things? It's a hindrance to you seeing your utter helplessness, your utter de dependence, your utter weakness. It's a hindrance to you being like a little child, needy and dependent. You know, I really don't want to pull any punches this morning. I am talking right at some of you this morning. Because... Look, you think you're so good, you, you, you think you've got it all figured out and you've compiled this worthy resume, you think. And I'm telling you and God is telling you that it's keeping you out of God's kingdom. You know, others of you are convinced that if not now, maybe one day you'll be able to get things together in your life. And it's keeping you away from Jesus. Still others of you think, I'm too far gone. I'm too bad. I'm too messed up. And I know that that often looks like and maybe even feels like to you humility. But that kind of insecurity is a form of pride keeping you from coming to Jesus in your weakness. Your only real asset in God's kingdom can only ever be realizing your utter helplessness and weakness. Point one. Everybody good and depressed? Um, Let's move on to see encouragement and weakness. It, it would take too long for me to tell this story, but let me just give you a little lesson I learned my first year of marriage. I, I had told Jennifer that I could do something. And, and I, I, maybe I was showing off or fishing for affirmation. Maybe I, I don't know what it was. But, um, and it, it doesn't really matter what it was. She, 
she didn't skip a beat when I told her that. And she just said, no, you can't. And um, three words, no explanation, you know, no reason given, just simple brute fact. No, you can't. And it hurt, um, you know, because I was like, well, I guess you're not all that impressed with me anymore. Um, And that's the day I knew the honeymoon was over. Um, First year of marriage, lessons learned. Um, But look, when the truth of your inability settles in, right, when you see how weak and dependent you really are, it stings and it hurts. I mean, it's like somebody pouring salt into an open wound that you had been trying so hard to forget existed. Here's the story where God has just whittled down Israel's army into a handful of men versus an army as vast as the sand on the seashore. But God doesn't leave us stinging in our weakness and inability, right? He provides real encouragement in the midst of our weakness. And I love what one scholar wrote about this, where he wrote, Yet God is not so strict as to be harsh when we tremble. He does not ridicule us for our fears. He never mocks us because we are fragile. And some of you, I know, are unsure of Christianity. And you think, you often think, why would I ever want to be a part of a group like this? <laughs> you know, that seems to like beat themselves up all of the time. Um, and, and your exposure to Christianity has really been a, a religion that exposes weakness and then buries people in shame. Um, and I, I do want to tell you that you may have learned that by watching some who profess to be Christians. But you did not learn that from watching the God of the Bible. Because he is not like that. And what I want you to do with this passage is to see him. He is a God who exposes our weakness. And then he moves close. He draws close to give encouragement in our weakness. I mean, see, this passage, you remember the story. God has Gideon take this friend with him, right? This guy named Pura. And together they sneak into the Midianite camp. This is all in verses 9 through 14. And God allowed them to overhear this strange dream and its interpretation in verse 14. And the interpretation was this, you know, the bagel that comes flying in and knocks down tents. And this is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. And immediately in verse 15, it led Gideon to worship. God had moved towards him in his weakness to give him encouragement and assurance. It's in his, in his weakness that God meets him to give that encouragement. But look, this is all just par for the course in Gideon's story. Gideon, he tells us, I am the weakest man from the weakest tribe. This is in chapter 6. And he was hiding away when God found him. He was hiding away in a wine press, threshing wheat because he was afraid of the Midianites. And even when God told him, again, this is all in chapter 6, even when God told him that he was going to be victorious over the Midianites, he, he begged for assurance, you know, from the angel of the Lord. And then you got the story about, the famous story about Gideon's fleece, you know, not just once, but twice he's asking for the assurance to know that God's, God's words are true, right? And what I'm saying is that in his weakness, he was in need of constant, repeated assurance and encouragement, and God always gave it. And in, cha- in chapter 7, verse 10, God said this, but if you are afraid to go down, Gideon, if you are afraid to go down, you think, Gideon afraid? Of course he's afraid. He's always been afraid. But you know, God doesn't even, even wait for Gideon to ask for it here. 
He takes the initiative and moves towards Gideon. You know, we don't have time for me to give you a bunch of details and stories, but you think about Jesus in the Gospels, right? The people who think their abilities are an asset. You know, look at my morality. Look at my purity. Look at my obedience. How much I have to offer, right? The Pharisees, they were like Jesus repellent. You know? I mean... He moves away from those people and even against those people. But he is always moving towards the outcasts, the lepers, the the blind, right? The prostitutes, the lame, the tax collectors, the thieves. He gravitates towards them. And, And I'm telling you, this is God's MO. This is his mode of operation. This is how he works. He moves towards weakness. And in it, he gives encouragement. And I know that some of you feel bad. You you know, why can't I just get the love and mercy and grace of God through my thick skull? I seem to forget it so, so very quick, right? Why do I constantly feel like I need reassurance? Why can't I just get it and move on? Why does the love and assurance of God constantly seem to leak out of me? You you do need to cheer up a little bit because you're just like Gideon. You're just like me and Gideon. I mean, we forget, and not for, and I'm not talking about forgetting intellectually. We forget experientially. We need this assurance and love and grace to penetrate our hearts, and we need it repeatedly. Some of you know that I, I enjoy playing golf, and um, one of my favorite golf stories is about a golfer named Tom Pernish Jr. And I was reading this magazine, this golf magazine, and they were interviewing Tom's caddy. Um, which is strange. You know, nobody's caddy. They're not the stars, you know, Um, unless maybe you're Tiger Woods caddy or something. So I was intrigued, and I read it. Why are they interviewing this guy? And the caddy was asked what his most unforgettable moment on tour was. And this is what he said. When Tom won his second PGA Tour title at the International, presented by Quest last year, his six-year-old daughter, who is blind, jumped into his arms, to feel his expression with her hands. That is you and me. I mean, that is what we need in our weakness. We need to constantly and regularly be doing everything we can to get into our Father's arms and feel the delight on His face. To feel His delight He doesn't begrudgingly move towards weakness. He delights to move towards weakness. His pleasure and joy, you need to feel his pleasure and joy of loving someone. Yes, someone like you. Right? Someone without a resume to please him. Someone broken and dependent. You need to feel his smile in your life. And here's the deal. You will never find his smile. If you think your ability, strength, or reputation, or whatever is an asset. It's only the broken, it's only the blind, it's only the weak that will feel his smile. Let me tell you something. I don't think you should ever miss church. And I, I, you know, don't take, take it too far. There may be good reasons to miss. I understand that. But you should come in here week after week out of hunger, out of desperate hunger to see Jesus. If you really knew how weak you were. And if you don't, 
It tells you something about what you think about yourself. The pro- See, here's what I'm saying. The proclamation of the gospel, it isn't a luxury. It's a necessity for those who see their weakness. And here's another thing. Christian community, friendships, regular involvement in other people's lives, like, say, our small group Bible studies or our monthly get-togethers or whatever, because God works through people. Like in this story, God said, don't go down alone, Gideon. Take a friend. Take Pura with you. And you need friends to give you assurance and encouragement in this life. You and I, we need people around us who will believe the gospel for us even when we feel like we can't. People who push you and compel you into this story of the promises and love of God so that you can not just know it, but so that you can taste it, so that you can feel it, so that you can experience it. Okay, quickly then the final point, deliverance that comes through weakness. We read the story earlier, but this is the gist of it. Gideon got his encouragement right and then went to rally his little group of 300 men. And everyone got a trumpet and a jar with a torch in it. Uh, That's how the story goes, okay? And so they get their trumpets and their jars, and then they surround the camp uh, of Midian. And and they do this at the beginning of the middle watch. And all at once, they blow their trumpets and, and let the light of the torches be seen. And all of a sudden, chaos ensued, right? Sleepy Midianites woke up in the middle of the night and they saw armed men walking through their camp. That's why they did it at the beginning of the middle watch. It was a shift change. And it freaked them out. And all of a sudden they started killing each other and fleeing, right? And then near the end of the passage, we read how the fleeing Midianites were then pursued and crushed by other Israelites. You know, you might look at this and say, that is genius. Wake them up and send them into a panic, you know, in the middle of a shift change. The 31,700 soldiers who had left earlier, they are now fresh and rested. And they can continue on the pursuit uh, of these fleeing tribes of Midian. And you might say that's pure genius. But let me tell you, it only looks like genius in hindsight because it worked. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if you can imagine this, but there are 300 of us. So everybody gets a, gets a trumpet. And everybody gets a torch. You know, let, let's go surround the camp now. If you notice verse 20, it says, They held in their left hands the torches, and in their right hands the trumpets. Okay, my translation of this. There's an army as vast as the sand of the seashore. Let's go pick a fight with them without weapons, with trumpets and torches. That's ridiculous. That's silly. I mean, in verse 2... In verse 2, God, God had said, there are too many Israelites for me to deliver you. Why? The end of verse 2, lest Israel boast over me saying, my own hand has saved me. Let me tell you something. God will not share his glory with another. He wouldn't share his glory with Israel. And he will not share it with you. And the essence of his glory is his saving, delivering, rescuing grace. Gideon with this handful of men without weapons and an enemy as vast as the sand on the seashore, it was not their hands that delivered them that day. It wasn't their strength. It wasn't their ability. It wasn't their smarts, their goodness, their anything. It was God's own hand, the God who brings deliverance, not in spite of weakness, but the God who brings deliverance through weakness. You see, Gideon... This character, Gideon, he's setting the stage 
really. He, he's a picture. He, he, uh, he's a picture of the way of the right side up kingdom of God. A favorite quote of mine that comes from Flannery, Flannery O'Connor, uh, I usually pull it out, out around Christmas time. It goes like this. She wrote, God told the world he was going to send it a king and the world waited. The world thought a golden fleece will do for his bed, silver and gold and peacock's tail. A thousand sons will do for his crib. His mother will ride on a four-horned white beast and use the sunset for her cape. But instead, Jesus came on cold straw. And Jesus was warmed by the breath of an ox. Who is this, the world said? Who is this blue cold child and this woman plain as winter? Is this the word of God, this blue cold child? Is this his will, this plain winter woman? The world said, love cuts like cold wind. And the will of God is as plain as winter. You have to tilt your head sideways or you will miss the right side up kingdom of God. You you know, that's what she's saying. She's saying we are looking for heroes with golden fleeces and silver and gold and peacock's tail and sunset for capes and all this kind of stuff. But Jesus was born in obscurity. I mean, right, he came weak. And Jesus would say foxes have holes and birds have their nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Love cuts like the cold wind. He came vulnerable to pain, right, and ultimately death. And that's the story. Jesus came weak, and he didn't conquer with the might or with a sword. He conquered through weakness. He brought deliverance through weakness when he was crucified on the cross. Through weakness, he toppled your greatest enemy in life. Sin and death. Let me end like this. How are you going to own your brokenness? Because you have to own your brokenness. You have to own your weakness. I mean, if you play to your strengths and your abilities, it's a liability in God's kingdom. And you know, it's hard because quite seriously, the self-righteousness you cling to, it's so very tempting to gravitate there. But it's a liability, and it's keeping you out of the kingdom of God. But at the same time, it's really hard to to own your weakness because it doesn't feel safe at all. I mean, it makes you vulnerable. It's scary to be that wide open with nothing in yourself to cling to. Let me tell you, you become free to own your weakness weakness and your brokenness. You become free to become like a little child when you tilt your head sideways. And see the king of kings, the king of kings who left heaven to become weak for you. He was vulnerable. He was wide open on the cross, bearing the full weight of your sin and mine. But this is the story. He always moves towards weakness and he brings deliverance through weakness. Let's pray together. Gracious heavenly father. Thank you. Thank you for your word this morning and thank you for the reminder that we have had all summer long that every page of your word breathes the name of Jesus to us. Father, we we are a people who desperately need Jesus. We are a people we confess that seeks to cling to any kind of self-righteousness that we can get our hands on. 
Father, we pray that you would help us to see your kingdom, your kingdom that appears so upside down to us. And help us to see the king of that kingdom who came and delivered through weakness so that we can be free to own and be open about our own brokenness and weakness. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.